Leading a beauty business in today's ever-changing economic backdrop takes a multitude of skills along with guts, instinct and energy. In the Industry of Beauty's In Conversation podcast, we talk to the people who are in possession of all of those qualities and more, including those who have set up their own businesses or those who have risen to the top of beauty businesses, large and small. We delve into the background of these leaders' careers, find out what drove them to success, what continues to motivate them, and what their ambitions are for the future. We also get their take on how they see the industry developing, along with their advice for those wishing to follow in their beauty footsteps. Dr. Jane Leonard is a GP and aesthetic doctor who recently appeared as an expert contributor to the revamped Embarrassing Bodies series on Channel 4. Dr. Jane has made it her mission to help young women in particular to find confidence in their looks and bodies. She regularly cautions against unnecessary procedures, unrealistic expectations and unqualified practitioners. But, at the same time, she is keen for the aesthetics industry to be recognised for the positive impact it can have on people's lives and health. As well as appearing on this podcast, where she's talking to our editor-in-chief, Loretta Roberts, Dr. Jane has her own podcast in the making and is currently working on a documentary on female health. Dr. Jane, welcome to the podcast. We are so happy to have you. How are you? Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm great, thank you. How are you? Pleasure. Oh, yeah, listen, I'm good. I really wanted to do this podcast with you. Um, I get to pick and choose the ones I do, and you came up as an opportunity, so I am thrilled to speak to you. Such an interesting woman. Um, Let's start, if I may, by just delving a little bit into your career background, because we're here largely to talk about aesthetics and body image and all of those things, but you've got a very interesting medical career. Um, You're a GP as well as an aesthetic practitioner, so I just wanted to take you back a bit to your studies and what it was that motivated you to enter the medical profession and also what was it that drove you to the specialism that you have now? Yeah, so my background is I'm a GP and it was actually alongside my GP training that I did my aesthetics training because as you probably were that within medicine there's many different specialities but medical aesthetics isn't one of them. So you can't really train um in that you do it outside of the normal sort of training as you do as a doctor. So I God, it was back in about 2014 when I did it, so quite a while ago now. And I just took the plunge and went to Harley Street and did a Botox foundation course. And back then, honestly, it was like one day, one injection, then you're off to try and oh do it. Um, but to answer your question properly, I I think I wanted to get into medicine um, for many reasons, really. I think when you actually start practicing as a doctor it's really difficult to expect what the job is actually like no amount of work experience or even like just general experience or research you can do can really prepare you for um the amazingness of the job but also challenges and responsibility that goes along with it so I can definitely think that I maybe when I was younger or underestimated perhaps what was involved in it I just was like oh um at school I was doing quite well and I was like actually I'll be a doctor but fortunately actually working as a doctor is something that I am, I feel really privileged to be doing um, and it is very much something that it, it is one of the true vocational careers that you are you know your your time your energy your 
like the, the workload that you put yourself involved in to actually learn on the job when you're a junior doctor, which continues as you move up the ranks, um, is a lot. But again, it's a very rewarding career as well. So um, I suppose how I've ended up doing this dual career and I still maintain my um, GP work is because I I don't want to lose that. I think you put that much effort into it and the job is something that, you know, the skill set that you learn to keep understanding it, to keep moving with it. It's a lifelong learning job that um, you've got to still be in it. And I think if I, at one time, I got quite busy doing aesthetics, probably about, say, four or five years ago and I did step out of um, GP work but I went back to it after COVID and I'm really glad that I did and I do very much keep it that way that I do my GP work and then alongside of it do the aesthetics. I often think um, GPs, I'm sort of in awe of them because I think you have to know a lot. It's not like you just specialise in one thing is it and you must get an awful lot of emotional um I don't want to say baggage but people bring into lots of emotional problems as well as their physical problems it's it's a big big responsibility isn't it yeah and I think with GP work we're very much the first point of call when you um say you might get referred to a specialist like a dermatologist cardiologist anything in that but you've already gone through a process of being assessed by other doctors your um medical problem has been established and then you're in that way whereas the responsibility on us is to pick these things up from the get-go which might not always be you know no one comes in and says I've got I don't know um, <laughs> they, they don't tell you that you've got to kind of work it out so that is one thing that makes the job really interesting you never know what's going to walk through the door uh, also that's where the need like I said for lifelong learning comes in because as we learn more as medications change as protocols change you need to keep um updating your knowledge in order to keep up with you know doing the, the job properly um but yeah I think it, it's the, the main thing I think people often say that to me like how do you know all this stuff and the truth is like we it's impossible to know it all but what we have to know is about risk factors and risk management and able to pick up red flag symptoms to be able to look at patients and sort of say actually this is just this is a mild thing that we're going to have to investigate and unpick it, or this is actually coming at the other end of the spectrum where we're now looking at things where you are actually ill rather than on the verge of being ill or, or like your general health balance has been disturbed. So it's actually picking up those things to work in a safe, safely, and to me that's what GP is all about. Yeah. I imagine all of those skills come into play quite a lot, well, a great deal, in fact, in the aesthetic practice as well because you're having to... I don't know. I imagine women. I mean, women and men. I imagine that come to you wanting something, or uh, you know, having an issue with something, and you kind of have to work out the right solution for them, don't you? Yeah. yeah or I if think it's, it's all no solution, maybe you know. Exactly, and I think with this um, aesthetics, like it's really important to establish what the patient's expectations are, and you know, if that can be to be achieved, because there's a lot. 
aesthetics again it's grown so much there's so many different things like when I started out it was just two things Botox and dermal fillers essentially but now there's so many different things that means that many people can have treatments done and the results can you know be on a spectrum too so it's very much get building that rapport with a patient that you can have a frank open transparent um, discussion about what we can do and what their hopes are because that's the only thing with it because a lot of the treatments that we do there isn't always um we kind of say it's not an exact science we can't say you're going to have this done it will equal this it's not the same in everyone so it's kind of just making sure that you're doing the right thing by the patient to encompass what what they want and if we can actually achieve it as well exactly and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more um later on in the podcast but i wanted to talk to you about, because you've you've become quite a high profile figure in this field um appearing in the media and on television and you recently appeared on Channel 4's Embarrassing Bodies series. Could you, for the benefit of the listeners, tell us in what capacity you were invited to take part in that show and what you were asked to do? Yeah, it was um, such an honour to be asked to go on this show. Um, so Embarrassing Bodies, um, I'm in my GP capacity there. I think I think it helps that I've got the background of aesthetics because a lot of the things I dealt with uh, were skin-related problems. But I think that's partly because, firstly, skin problems are so common. They affect you not only in a physical way but an emotional way. And also you can clearly see the journey of the patient from where they started and how the treatment helped resolve it. Um but I think the main message from Embarrassing Bodies, because we did Series 9, and there was eight series before, and um, it just not been on TV for a while. So it was a real sort of reboot and relaunch of it that um, there's three new doctors and we're all GPs with different sort of specialist interests. But I think the main message of the programme and why it's so important was some of these conditions are obviously people don't like seeing a doctor about them, be all that apprehensive because they feel embarrassed. But the key message from us is, is being that we're not embarrassed. So please don't sit on something at home. Don't worry about not coming forward because you're worried that you're, you're going to feel embarrassed. Um, because potentially these things could be something way deeper than that. So I think that was the really important thing about it that, you know, there was a lady that I saw on the first episode, a really brave lady that had um, this condition called lichen sclerosis, which is um, a skin condition, but it was affecting her vulva. So it basically meant the skin was very prone to splitting and she was just having this really awful sort of um cycle of events where the skin was breaking tearing she was getting infections it was really affecting her personal life relationships sex life etc and one of the messages in the show was that this condition obviously we worrying and dealing with that on the personal level is massive but also it's a risk factor for vulval cancer and if patients that have this need to be being assessed all the time so you're worried about it at home and that's completely understandable but there are other things that we want to see you because there's a small proportion of patients and the number is low it's not a definite link that if you've got lichen sclerosis you're going to get it but any condition where the skin is being damaged as having this recurrent thing it's a risk so that's why i think the actual message is really powerful because um normally talks about that you know we don't really of all the sort of female cancer stuff like that we don't really speak about so that's yeah. why I think it's not just about raising awareness. It's actually there's a really important point behind it too. Yeah, absolutely. And I've absolutely heartbroken listening to that because you just realise that people just must be experiencing conditions that they're just 
putting themselves through so much stress and they could be treated. Their life could be transformed. If and, and it's just a great message to say that your doctor wants to see you. They want to see it. They're not going to be embarrassed. They're going to want yeah. to help you know and it's not to kind of um sort of like belittle their concerns because obviously like even if I was dealing with that I'd still feel a bit apprehensive about seeing my doctor and I'm a doctor myself but it's kind of just to share that there's something bigger potentially and but it but it's also fixable and just showing that you know these you're because no one talks about it you feel really isolated because you feel like you're the only one but actually when we talk about on the show there's lots of support groups there's loads of different treatments now and it says lots of different treatments it means there's lots of different patients to be experienced this hence the, re- the treatments evolving so it's a real message of going there are firstly there's things that can be done and secondly you're not the only one and thirdly these treatments work because there's options so all of that, I think, is a really good thing, and that's why it was quite – it was amazing to be part of it. Yeah, it's lovely. I'm going to make sure I, w- I watch some of them now, actually, because I think that's just such a positive message. Um, yeah. On the subject of positive messages, you're actually focusing a lot of your attention at the moment on young women and their use of aesthetics and whether they're doing it properly, whether they're going to the right kinds of practitioners, etc. Could you just talk to us a little bit about your work in that area? Yeah, I think um, in in aesthetics now, because there's so many different practitioners, either right, rightly or wrongly, each practitioner tends to get a sort of demographic of patients that you end up seeing. I think um, over time, I I mean, it's not to say I only see young girls, but that's not the case at all, and I kind of want to make sure it's not too pushed on that angle, but it's more that these there's a real group of patients that are going after these treatments and the argument is do they actually need it um, and I think you know it's been a great thing that the law has been brought in that no one under 18 can have it and, and it's on us to make sure that we're documenting people's ages asking questions where it's needed to be um, but I kind of want to be one of the people looking after these young faces and um, building a rapport with patients like yeah if you want I mean if you want your lips made a bit bigger or if you, or if you want your cheeks contouring or these things, they're going to help your self-confidence, then, then yeah, we can help you with that. But also it's not going down that route of going, you won't be able to feel good in yourself or have self-confidence without it. It's actually this will help boost your self-confidence, but as a whole, it's not reliant on it. Um, and I think there was a real trend a while ago probably related to well, I don't know if it was related to this, but I got asked to comment on it a lot related to think programs like Love Island, where a couple of years ago there was a real obvious trend of girls going on the show where they definitely put the work in behind the scenes of having facial treatments done. And you've got to think the cohort of girls going on there are often in their early 20s. And I think this time around, or on the last series, it was sort of the treatments, if they've had any done, were a lot more subtle, and it was off. It was kind of um, at the same time when big figures on the previous Love Islands were having their work dissolved or reversed. So I think that can only be a good thing. I mean, all of these treatments are a personal choice, mm-hmm. and I think if you want to look a certain way, as long as that it's carried out safely and and it's not for the wrong reasons, so not to kind of you know like, things like body dysmorphia or things where people have got deeper rooted problems that they're hoping that change in their appearance might resolve that um i think as long as it's done safely and appropriately by somebody who's medically trained is is fine um and these things do come in trends i think a lot of them don't they like sometimes now everyone wants the lips dissolving um (laughs) 
Yeah. And it's it's interesting that do you know, she was you were talking about that. Um I was thinking about a man actually. I was thinking about Ryland Clark and he I I think he's such a good egg, you know, he's such a nice guy. But I read about him and he's clearly had um procedures done and he said it, it yeah, he said it, it didn't give him self confidence. He did it thinking it would. And it didn't and it's this is a young guy, you know. Um and I thought, oh, that's so so sort of pertinent what you say there because people maybe attach too much importance to the, I, I, if I have this done to my cheeks or my lips, whatever it might be, I will feel a hundred percent better. And the root cause of what you're feeling isn't really anything to do with your lips or your cheeks. In the, at the end of the and day, I think that is such an important point, and that is something that I see a lot of the time. That it's like anything; it's when people you know talk about now you know, just being successful or having material things or whatever make you happy or equals solve this problem. And the same applies for aesthetics. If you have certain amount of work done or whatever, is that going to equal that your self-confidence, self-esteem and self-worth will increase? And I think in some cases it definitely like, it, it can, it can really, if you feel, if you look better, you can feel better, but it's not the sort of be all and end all. I think the other aspects of it, and I, I think that's where the responsibility lies with us as practitioners, that there are certain patients that they, they come with stories that they've like, you know, gone to loads of different practitioners, been turned away, had this done, had that reversed, um, can only have certain products. And these are all red flags that us as practitioners should be picking up on and thinking, well, um, you know what? What is the their agenda behind it? And a, a lot of the time, sadly, there there are sort of more deep rooted problems related to body dysmorphia. Even things like anxiety and depression can be. You know, the people can take action in different ways to try and improve certain problems that are going on. So, I think it's a lot of the time you've got to look at everybody as an individual and case by case. And I think that's why it's important that as practitioners we spend time just to kind of chat and make the patient feel at ease and it's also during that time you can really tease out what the what the sort of ideas and concerns and expectations are that that's the term that we use in GP practice but it's very applicable to this actually having an open conversation and then from that it's a lot easier then to have more difficult conversations if you're like well actually you know I don't if you did fill your lips they they're already too full or we, i'd be wrong in doing this or actually maybe we should think about that so it just means that we're being a bit kind as the people as well rather than just going saying you know this is what you need it's or don't need it's actually yeah. looking at them on an individual basis yeah it's, it's it's a tricky one that and you mentioned their trends and it's the trend seems to be among younger women as you say actually to go for more subtle treatments that perhaps women of my age would tend to go for because women of my age like gen xers we're looking for not all of us but some of us to just refresh our faces take away some of the signs of aging that might be troubling us etc um and i think maybe younger women are going a bit more down that route not that they've got the signs of aging but it might just be more subtle tweaks i mean would that be a fair assessment of the way things are going yeah i, I think very much i think um Within aesthetics practice or the way that I'd open some consultations with patients is there's anti-aging treatments. So, for example, um, using small amounts of um, anti-wrinkle injections with Botox and things like that rather than a more traditional way of a more corrective treatment. And it's just getting that barrier right of going, you know, some, some people 
genetically don't have that many lines and wrinkles, say, in the late 20s than other people do. So it, it's just very much looking at each person, um, you know, as an individual case. But I often get said, you know, people often say to me that, you know, the, all these young girls are having treatments done. They all look the same. They look older. They look like a sort of mirror image of each other because they're going to people and having a package done of like jawline, chin, cheekbone treatments. And that's very much something I want to veer away from. It, having this sort of Kim Kardashian package um, filler treatments are really not the message that, that we should be given. I mean, fair enough, some people might benefit from that, but it's not like a template we can put on every single person. So I think um, anti-aging um, medicine and looking at ways of like um, improving your skin quality and looking at the sort of muscle activity below the skin, so like preventing wrinkles moving forward, it just should be done in a way befitting the person's age as well. We'll be back after this short ad break. Hi, I'm Tom Shearsmith, news editor at the Industry of Beauty, and I'm here to remind you that every day we dedicate ourselves to producing daily news, features, and insights to keep our readers up to date and ahead of the curve of events changing the UK beauty market, such as breaking stories, interviews, and analysis. Remember to check in every day to stay up to date. All of our content is free to view, and why not sign up for our free daily update newsletter to get all of this essential content delivered direct to your inbox that that influence of certain high profile celebrities and you know you mentioned love island the kardashians for instance it does it does affect people i i'm i'm sure of it that this is held up as an ideal um and i was thinking then i i I know i'd mentioned it to you in our pre-recording communication i was thinking about this procedure and i was reading about it um over the past week of the buckle fat removal which is and and it's all over the media about people having, uh, you can explain what it is better than I can, obviously, fat removed from their cheeks to sort of give them that contoured cheek. And these things, even if they're written about in a slightly, because sometimes in the media it is sort of, look at these ridiculous women having this procedure, which isn't always fair, I feel. But these things that get written about, you must then see people coming in to your clinics and saying, yeah. Should I, I have this? I, I think the, not so much actually with the buckle fat. So the buckle fat is um, basically pads of fat inside kind of this quadrant here are removed so that the support that is there from the fat pad is gone. So you get this kind of angulation from the cheekbone, which highlights the cheekbone contour and in turn the jaw as well. The only, and not the only problem, I'm not going to say that, cause, and again, I'm not a surgeon, so... I couldn't sort of give you all the pros and cons of it. But you need that support in your central face. It's a real fine line that of patients coming to me with this area here. It's called the pre-jowl area. It's a horrible term. But it's very difficult to treat because you can't really fill it with fillers. And skin sort of boosting treatments can help elasticity and collagen. But if you take away the buckle fat, that can push that even, make it even less supported so there's pros and cons to everything um i think the main thing about trends that i see is unfortunately stuff like instagram when people are using filters all the time and editing photos a lot so people look different than what they actually are that is a thing that creates um unrealistic expectations and it's all based on this comparison culture of everybody looking at somebody and thinking they're so much better than me and it leads to scrutinizing themselves 
because at one time like people would um come to me and say because on my instagram some some of my friends have been like on love island and stuff like that they were models and they're beautiful people and they're on my instagram as a way of pushing aesthetics essentially and they'd be like oh can i have my lips like india or can i do that and it's these people that through stuff like that that people are trying to you know turn themselves like not into them but i'm like you're not injured so i haven't luckily she's a beautiful girl so i'll give her a tiny tweak in her lips that's it but it's not that you can sort of create a different face um it's they're all like little tweakments really that we should be describing so it's just understanding again the sort of person's agenda of how they're feeling about themselves yeah um the thing the treatments i i at my age like actually um it's not really to do with injectables as such but there's some great treatments for the skin there's this big emphasis now on quality of skin isn't there and there's some fantastic treatments out there that i i've i've really enjoyed using um like your haifu and things like that to just tighten the skin it amazes me how innovative this market is and how clever it is i feel quite lucky to be aging in this space because you get much more help than you used to Exactly. I I totally agree with you. I think there's so many different treatments from skin boosters to these bio-remodeling agents of things like Profilo where you're injecting very high doses of hyaluronic acid into the skin and initially that creates a hydration because the molecules are so hydrophilic so they love water and pull it towards them but they also stimulate collagen and elastin in your skin so in time and over time your skin will be stronger thicker and less prone to sagging and also there's a real medical benefit of that as well because in some skin conditions some people have really quite dry skin or have had treatments like roaccutane which is a treatment for acne that work by essentially drying the skin out by reducing the stimulation of sebaceous glands so patients can get really dry irritated skin and products like those skin boosters can really help that so it's not only just for a cosmetic thing that gives your skin a really dewy glow your makeup goes on better when you're on holiday you look great about your makeup also it's kind to your skin and it's doing something that helps to sort of um nourish the skin from the inside out yeah yeah so it's not it's not all to do with that actually since you talk about skin conditions because i i've had a, a lifelong obsession with skincare but i had um, I still get it very occasionally now, but as I've got older, it's 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 become less so. Um, psoriasis, and I remember yeah. being of eighteen years old, and my it was my GP. He said to me, "You're just going to have to be one of those people that really looks after their skin," and I took it really seriously. And so yeah. I've always really looked after my skin. I was really grateful to it was a, it was a male um, doctor. I was really grateful for him to say that to me because. I spent, oh, I was just completely emoliating myself all the time, <laughs> moisturising, moisturising, moisturising. But I think now, at the age I'm at now, you know, it, um, I've benefited from that. And it came from having a condition that needed some care, you know. So it yeah. wasn't just about, I'm scared of getting wrinkles, because it wasn't actually that at all. Yes. Yeah. That's a really important point, I think, and it highlights sometimes the lack of education about some skin conditions. I think problems like eczema and psoriasis are really good examples of that because, unfortunately, they're lifelong conditions, but they can be triggered uh, but can also be um, kept in remission almost. And uh, one important thing, I think, for psoriasis and eczema, actually, is there'll be things that are really triggering it for you and often there are things it could even be environmental things but also 
internal things. So if you're under a lot of stress or, you know, you're not sleeping well or you're eating certain things in your diet or if you're drinking too much alcohol, lots of things, it's taking that step back and reflecting on what you're actually putting into your body and the effect it has on your skin. And I think as well, it's being consistent with the treatments that you use. And like you say, looking after your skin as like a project that, you know, sometimes if you're not moisturising your skin and if you're not anticipating flare-ups, say it changes in cold weather or actually on the flip side, hot weather, whatever is your trigger, just really working towards that. But it's only actually taking that moment to really have that detailed self-care and take a step back and say, what do I actually need and what has been over the last sort of 10 years when this is now becoming a problem like so problematic that I'm seeing the doctor over it actually we're on a podcast and you are creating a podcast called the confidence clinic aren't you yeah um so we're getting a bit meta here so we're, we're using a podcast talk about a podcast but I'm really interested to know about this podcast so I will be joining you and listening in because um it sounds fantastic but can you tell us about the format who's going to be on it as a guest and what issues you're going to tackle on it yeah so I think it's probably a bit um it's not really a medical related topic actually it's more um personal self-development psychological I don't know really what bracket it would um sort of fall under but it's essentially exploring um what confidence means to different people and how you create confidence. And I think words like self-confidence, self-esteem, self-belief get thrown around a lot. But if you ask someone what do they actually mean, it's really hard to pinpoint it. And I think it's not only pinpoint it or say what it means for you, but actually how to create it. And so some of the the guests that I've got, they're all different stories personally and professionally from each person. But it's to look at that we're in a a world, a culture, particularly with social media, where everyone shows the best life, everyone raves about the success, everyone shows the most gorgeous pictures, everybody shows a completely curated image of who they are and the success in life, which is great, which is part of, you know, one of the, that's how it is, that's how social media is. But often no one knows the backstory about the challenges, the difficult steps, the pitfalls that people go through. And actually in retrospect, when you kind of unpick it all, it's maybe the things that go wrong, the failures that you have, the difficult times you have, the ways that you build courage and learn from stuff that actually gives you confidence rather than just going, oh, do you know what, one day I decided to do this and by by good luck it went really well and now I'm successful you actually get more confidence and more belief in yourself by taking risks and do sort of come overcoming failures than you actually do from the things that tick boxes and go well so I think it's just to kind of explore that and probably be quite real with um, I think probably as well, like the people that probably follow me or listen to me, like you said at the start, are like younger girls with a lot of pressure on themselves from from everything. It's just the way the world is at the moment. But actually sharing the, the inspirational stories of others, but it's not just about saying, look, do this and everything's going to go right. It's actually when the things go wrong, that's a good thing sometimes. It either puts you on a different path, teaches you a lesson and makes you stronger and less fearful of taking risks and taking opportunities because you feel equipped to deal with them if the worst case scenario happens. It's a great message because if you look at it from life or in business, whatever it might be, it's when the chips are really down that you learn about yourself and you have to let yourself experience it because I think sometimes there's a tendency to try and avoid these things and and expect that life shouldn't serve you up 
challenges and but but it's all part of your sort of training isn't it yeah yeah definitely and I think it's sometimes it's just um some things are like are generally really hard to do and like you know we talk about people setting up businesses or any anything really I think it can apply to anything um but there's many interesting stories on and also not only the stories but people (coughs) excuse me sharing their tools or tips that have helped them get through it you know when things have been really difficult how they've turned things around or how they you know create a, a positive mindset when everything's going against them so there's that side of it as well not just only talking about it but sharing useful tips and things that people have done to just to help get through the difficult times that's amazing and it's it's such a credit to you that you're prepared to tackle tough issues as well in your in your career because you know you're you're in a market that I think if we were to believe what we read in sort of mainstream media is frivolous it's just about people throwing money at themselves to to achieve some tiny improvement that as they perceive it that is just vanity you know and yet I talk to somebody like you and you're so invested in just the human condition and and, and helping people it's it's so it's it, it would be so unexpected I think from people looking in on the outside not from me because I've experienced this industry from the inside I know what people are like so nice to hear this it's so like I say it's so refreshing and I hope yeah thank you and I think the experience I had through the clinic I went to for example and mm-hmm. um they there's so much support actually like a lot of the times in these situations that so obviously you get I mean my motivation to do it was purely my age and the fact that I'm not any any closer to kind of having a baby and I don't really necessarily want one right now but I need to factor in future but many people end up in different situations through a a multitude of things and it can be very isolating and it can be really like there's you're really facing things that maybe you don't want to face like somebody looking in detail at your fertility looking detail of what your chances are looking telling you you know these options also like this isn't some things are available on the nhs but you know there's an element that unfortunately because of the price associated with it isn't available to anyone everyone i've been through my childbearing years that's fine and it was fine for me but i was a bit older when i had my kids and sometimes yeah you, it was quite it was fine. I mean, ultimately for me, it was absolutely fine. No, no story to tell there, but there were, like you say, when you start getting prodded and poked and people start talking about you and like, oh, come on, get a move on, get on with it. You know, it's all oh, crikey. I mean, <laughs> whether you're I ready. You're, yeah. Awful. You know, the whole, um, at, when I was going through this, it was when um, there was all that stuff in the press about Jennifer Aniston as well. And it really, yeah. you know, you think, God, like you can have all the success, all the money in the world. Yeah. And, something that maybe again what might give you happiness in the next because at the time obviously she wasn't thinking about it then no. you know she was doing her life and whatever or, or well, relationships you know, didn't lead her down that path I mean that's the other thing for some women you know on some of my peers they just weren't in the right relationship at that right point you know yeah to, to be able to you know become a mother and maybe that was I the case mean, and the most sort of frustrating thing about it from our side as women is it is time dependent this is the thing so you might only meet somebody sort of like you can find love at any time in your life really can't you or have different relationships work out sometimes or they don't and you just life can take you in so many different directions but unfortunately for us women there is a time frame on this and that's 
something yeah. I think that the message I probably want to give and probably on the back of that message what I think Jennifer Aniston was trying to say is as much as you don't want to face it kind of do so yeah. if you do, it's and even just planning for it um mm-hmm. or looking ahead saying you know I'm, it's just it's just not having regret I suppose yeah no you're a wise woman and she's a wise woman as well and I always felt the speculation around her um and whether or not she would or wouldn't have a child was just cruel, actually. You know, she's yeah. a human being at the end of the day. And uh, it just seems crazy. But also you've got to be realistic. And I think that's what, you know, that you're facing there and that her story helps other women. Because I think part of the industry we work in, women get to their 30s or 40s and they look great. And they maybe if they look great on the outside, it might, I don't know encouraging to deny what's going on on the inside which but we are very lucky as women who are listening to this podcast <laughs> to have people like you around to help us because you you really do um I don't know you really do inspire me Jane because you're just such a clever person and such a kind person and it's so nice to see that there's that balance between I can make, I can give you better lips, I can give you more sculpted cheek, but you just really care about the person behind it. And I just think that's a really lovely message. So, no, thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Jane, listen, thank you so much. And um, hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Thanks a lot. You Bye. too. Pleasure. If this beauty leader's story inspired you, why not head over to our website at www.theindustry.beauty or find us on your favourite podcast platform where you can hear from many more leading industry figures. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be sure that you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review or rating. If you would like to suggest names that you would like to hear on the podcast, feel free to drop us a line at press at theindustry.beauty and remember to visit www.theindustry.beauty for your daily beauty fix and to sign up for our free daily update newsletter.